I think that the, the envelope gets pushed way too quickly to have crews back in service. Uh, instead, the focus should be on, are we really ready for the next call? Enchanted Sky Media. Media. This is Code 3, the Firefighters Podcast. Now, here's your host, Scott Orr. That's right, and I will not let Parkinson stop me. Thank you for joining me again here on Code 3. This is the show for and about firefighters. We're informing and entertaining members of the fire service, just like you, from coast to coast. A major fire requires a major rehab effort. A couple of bottles of water and some shade from a rig just won't cut it in those cases. It takes a well-executed plan to keep firefighters rotating in and out of a fire scene that might last eight hours or more. And you guessed it, there's an acronym for rehab planning too. My guest today is here to go over the logistics of rehab at a major scene. Tim Nowak runs Emergency Medical Solutions, an EMS training and consulting company. He's been involved in EMS and emergency services since 2002. He's worked as an EMT, paramedic, and critical care paramedic, as well as a firefighter and a hazmat technician. And Tim Nowak joins me now. Welcome to Code 3. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Scott. Okay, so when there's an extended fireground operation, we definitely need a rehab setup. But what's the baseline for when you must have one? Yeah, that's a good question. I think oftentimes in the fire service, it's been looked at for rehab from the larger incident perspective. But I think we need to look a lot more broad in general and really incorporate rehab into just about every incident. Now, you know, your standard car fire or something short and sweet probably doesn't need it to a major extent, but really any time that you have people that are on air, uh, I think it's appropriate to have some form of rehab, even if it is just a simplistic relax, sit back, and just uh, make sure you're ready for the next call. So you do mean something more elaborate than sitting in the shade of a rig with a bottle of water then? Yeah, I think oftentimes the, the turnaround aspect is, is pushed or expedited within the fire service. And, and I think we need to put a lot more focus on that. And, you know, it's comforting but also disheartening to see that, you know, in the past three three or so years, it seems like, you know, the incidents of heart attack have come more to the spotlight, the need for changing out turnout gear, um, even to the extent of, you know, saunas and, and other ways to kind of decontaminate and just get the crap off of you. I, I think it's important that we focus more attention on, okay, this call is done. Are we really ready for the next call? Not just do we have all of our stuff back on the rig? Is the hose properly loaded? Is everyone ready? Do we do we have clean stuff? Uh, are you rested? Was it 85 degrees and humid? And you just need a 30-minute little, you know, quick break? Uh, or can we legitimately go on the next call? So I think we need to focus more on providers, not just 
turnaround time. So you're saying that if the captain realizes his crew is a little worn down, he probably should not go back into service immediately then? Yeah, I, I think that the, the envelope gets pushed way too quickly to have crews back in service. Uh, and instead, the focus should be on, are we really ready for the next call? And and not just a halfway approach to it. Like, are, are we legitimately ready for uh, going back onto a structure fire call? Not just anticipating the next call, but probably be a medical one. Uh, are we changed? Are we really showered up and clean? Uh, because even even on that simple medical call, no one likes a sweaty, you know, horrible, reeking, smelling, carcinogenic filled firefighter walking in their house. It smells like so, a fire when he gets there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, granted, I I kind of miss the smell, and I'll reminisce when I see some of the guys and rub up against them like my dog boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but still, it's it's uh, it you know we're seeing the negative effect of it or at least it's come to the spotlight more now. And I think we really need to focus on, are we really ready for that next call? Are we rested and prepared? In terms of a major incident, what are the elements for a good rehab setup when we're talking about at least a couple of hours? Yeah, you know, and I, I wrote an article for EMS One uh, in Massimo uh, about a year ago that focused on rehab. And, and what I kind of looked at was... Um, the approach of rehab uh, from the perspective of, you know, long-term, what do we need to do? Uh, so I identified what I thought were, were five important elements uh, and actually rehab being the acronym. So uh, re, uh, resources, environment, hydration, uh, continual assessment, and then making sure that we have enough breaks. So rehab spelled out uh, actually worked out as a nice little mnemonic. What are these specific elements then? I mean, can you go through them? Sure. With with resources, you know, do we adequately have enough people? You know, it's one thing for that full-time agency that has an abundant, you know, metro resources available. But when you've got volunteer organizations or combination departments and you're looking at resources coming in from double-digit miles away, do we need to consider rotating crews through more frequently, or do we need to consider uh, requesting resources from it even further just to get through this incident and then not rob the neighboring community? So resources, not just from your fire perspective, but uh, or from your incident, but also keeping in mind and being cognizant of uh, the rest of the, the region, you know, are they adequately covered? So constantly rotating through those resources. And um, it sounds like that also plays into what we just discussed about not mm -hmm. having to rush them back into service. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, even from the equipment side of it, having a, a an air-conditioned cab, I think, is a, is a huge and a wonderful component of it. But then also, you know, what else do you have on scene? Uh, do you have just a, a chair somewhere for guys to sit down and take a break, cooling fans, uh, even a cot to lie down somewhere to be shaded. You know, so what do you have that you can utilize? And some, some organizations will utilize like, uh, you know, red cross for that. And, and that's wonderful. But do, do you have that or even coolers with water or drinks, uh, part of the, the hydration part. So, just what what physical logistic items do you have 
and what else can you incorporate? And and you know, I think oftentimes we use the back of an ambulance as a resource or, or as a resource for rehab, and that's a nice temporary fix. But I always hated guys jumping on the back of my ambulance, and uh, you know, I would be anal retentive and throw down blankets and try to clean things up and make them walk on the blanket seat and get my floor dirty, uh, because now you're just making my ambulance a smelly mess. And, and, you know, my, my turnaround time is going to be affected based off of that too. So, you know, what, what can we use besides an ambulance, which is already, you know, a contaminant infested cesspool of badness anyway. (laughs) It seems as though there would be resources for longer term incidents, like those pop-up tents or pop-up canopies, Mm -hmm. you know, things where you don't have to sit them on a bumper. Yeah, and, and, you know, I've kind of contemplated the idea of, you know, for the larger agencies that utilize like a battalion chief or a shift commander, I, I kind of think we're doing it a little bit wrong. And I'm I'm a little bit way off the wall on some things or kind of crazy idea, but, it, you know, most, uh, most battalion chiefs or shift commanders will operate out of a suburban or an SUV. And uh, I think they should be operating out of like – Ford Transits or, uh, you know, Mercedes Sprinters, uh, and that way they can have more command room, but then also they can have more equipment in that vehicle to handle rehab. Don't don't throw all that crap on a ladder or an engine company because that's already, you know, real estate space that's taken up and, and primed for something else. Put that stuff on the bats car because they're going to be at the incident quite a while anyway. Um, you know, why, why load up and fill an SUV when – they could really manage that with a, a nice size van. So it's a crazy idea, crazy concept, but I, I think it might be worth looking at. All right, and then we have the rest of the acronym. Yeah. Let's go ahead and move on to E. Yeah, so environment, um, you know, moving from, uh, I originated in Wisconsin and then now live in Colorado. So the environment here, totally different. You know, the scorching heat, um, 90 degrees here, feels totally different than it does in Wisconsin with humidity. So how is your environment going? Or or even likewise, negative uh, 20 compared to 20 degrees. Uh, rain and snow, are people protected? For those that don't have wet turnout gear from just working off of a hose line, uh, can they stay dry in your area? So what kind of environmental protection can you provide? Or even, uh, you know, agencies that do deal with excessive heat, I, I, I feel pain for phoenix arizona uh wear a cooling vest or something to to help just keep yourself cool internally and not have to come you know consistently combat that and that kind of builds into hydration for the times that we have extended incidents we're oftentimes looking at the quick fix foods so fast food pizza but really when it comes down to it that probably is the the worst crap we can have and instead we should focus on better carbohydrates, uh, better sugars for us, uh, more nutrient-filled things and not just high-carb temporary energy. So look at your fruit trays, uh, fruit trays or even you know more appropriate sandwiches, granola bars. Uh, look at high-endurance athlete options because, in a sense, that's kind of what we're doing just in a very short burst of time. So more appropriate hydration and food and, and, you know, coffee is, you know, nice and warm in the morning, but that's probably the worst crap you can have, uh, you know, in between fighting a fire. Just be more appropriate with it. <laughs> Moving into like the assessment part of it, again, how is the incident going? So 
if we're in that rehab phase, are people wearing a mask? Are they still wearing their FCBA? Are they going inside and, uh, you know, pulling ceiling and dealing with insulation and all the other crap inside of a house unprotected? So policy-wise, you know, what's your procedure and policy there? But how are guys and, and, and gals doing as far as hypoxia and heat exhaustion and heat stroke? So continually watch people and, you know, you can get a good eye on someone just to see as that rehab person, uh, how how are they doing overall? Are they seeming more fatigued than normal? And especially as a company officer, this is your responsibility to really pay attention to your crew. And likewise, the crew pay attention to the company officer. How are we doing? Uh, cyanide, a whole bunch of other, you know, carcinogens and byproducts of the smoke that we need to be worried about uh, as far as, you know, getting into us. And are, are we really getting affected by it? So just pay more attention to your crew. Be cognizant of that. And, and that rolls into the breaks part where uh, I remember an apartment fire that I was on. I worked as a, a full-time firefighter with the Metro Fire Department for uh, t- over 10 years. And so we had a, an apartment fire that broke out uh, somewhere around 9 in the morning. And I think I was at that fire for about 13, 13 hours or so. And, uh, you know, just after a while, even even if you have enough breaks during that time, you're still just, you're spent, you're exhausted. And it's the, it's the worst thing ever when you've got the fire tones go off at, you know, 4.30, right before you're ready to sit down for dinner. And, you know, you're going to be there for six, eight, ten hours. You know, there goes your whole night, there goes your eating, there goes any chance of sleep. So, you know, do we need to consider sleeping for the crews or just don't keep your crews on scene for 12 hours? Keep them on scene for four hours so that they can leave and then take a one-hour break before they go back in service. I'll be back with more right after this. Every day, you put your life on the line to protect our families, friends, communities, cities, and our nation. Federal Resources knows the dangers you encounter daily. Whether it's fire, hazmat, or the more recent opioid threats, we're here to support you, protect you, and help train you for your next mission. You're looking out for everyone else. Let us look out for you. Federalresources.com. Are you in a position to say, as a medic, to say to a battalion chief that he's running his guys a little too hard, that they need a break? That's a good question. And, and you know, and I think part of it comes down to the structure where oftentimes rehab falls under like a, an operational component, when in all reality, I think rehab should fall uh, under like the safety officer should be a, a branch of safety because that safety officer, at least, you know, in theory should have that authority to go to the incident commander and say, okay, you know, it's, it's time, it's time to switch out. It's time to stop. These crews need a break. And this is what rehab is telling you. So I, I think that yes, as that rehab officer, you know, work with your agencies to, to make sure everyone's on the same page, of course. But I, I think at least with that form of structure, Yes, they should have the authority to say that. How much effort does it usually take to get firefighters to take a break? (laughs) When it's a nice and 50-degree day, which I think is ideal firefighting weather, (laughs) um, 
you know, I, I think it's a lot easier to keep going, but sitting on top of a, a paper mill roof, which is a metal decking and it's 85 or 90 and humid, I gladly would take a break after working on the K-12 for a while. So, you know, weather dependent, I think, is the biggest part of it. You know, certainly there are some, you know, guys and gals that are very gung-ho and just want to go break a bunch of crap and, <laughs> and all the power to them. But I, I, I think because of that, there needs to be more focus on mandating. This is not an option. And you will take a break. And you will, you know, leave the scene. You will go back in service. Uh, and this is not only for your own good, but the incident's own good uh, and, the, and the department's own good, too. It's short-term and long-term benefits. So it, it needs to be mandated. You know, in looking back, I can think of a lot of scenes I've been at where there was no safety officer or safe, the safety sector was considered a sort of an afterthought. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, the, the fire service notoriously is great for incident command. And, uh, you know, safety kind of fits in there, but, but I agree. It's usually 30 minutes or, you know, hour into it because you're assigning, you know, division branch task leaders of the Alpha Bravo, whatever side. And uh, safety really should be more on the forefront and, and not just focusing on building collapse and some of the, you know, RIT operations. Uh, safety really should be focusing on rehab, too. And in that way, safety is not just to sit there and wait for something to happen to your position. Yeah, exactly. That That's not just a, uh, you know, here's here's a vest that says safety officer on it. Go walk around and, <laughs> you know, things, look at the building a couple times. Carry a yeah, clipboard. Exactly. You know, that that should be a, a, a reportable position where rehab goes straight to them and, and gives them updates on, all right, you know, engine... Engine one, they're good to go. Crew's rested and hydrated. Engine four, uh, I think they need 20 more minutes. Or maybe just this one firefighter needs, you know, 15, 20 more minutes. Could you operate with a crew of three? Uh, could you operate with a crew of two? Or, or do you want to keep consistent with your full uh, crew? So, you know, how does crew resource management play into it and just overall accountability? You know, that's interesting because that position would also be the guy who says, all right, Engine 3 has to come out now, and the battalion yeah. chief may or may not want to do that. Yeah, and, and I think that's the key is setting this up from the get-go. This isn't stuff that should be figured out on scene. This is stuff that administratively should be figured out within the department, within neighboring departments, kind of as a consortium. And regardless of if you're mutual aid or if you're you know, standing uh, department resource, this should be a it should be a standard kind of regional policy and at least an accepted one. All right, good things to think about, Tim Nowak. Thanks for being with us on Code Three today. Absolutely, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And we put some more information on rehab planning and Tim's company on our website at Code Three Podcast dot com slash rehab. Check it out. Look out, here comes your trivia question. What is a febrile seizure typically associated with? 
I'll have your answer right after this. Now's your chance to get your hands on Code 3 t-shirts, sweatshirts, and more. Show your support for the podcast that supports firefighters from coast to coast. Just go to Code3Podcast.com and click on the Code 3 store link. Or go to Code3Podcast.com slash shop and tell the world that you're a Code 3 fan. Here's the answer. Febrile seizures are convulsions brought on by a fever in infants or small children. A child who's having one of these seizures often loses consciousness and shakes, moving limbs on both sides of the body simultaneously. All right, that's it. That's all for this edition of Code 3. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next time with more, and I hope you'll join me then. I'm Scott Orn. Until then, I'll see you later. Code 3 is a production of Enchanted Sky Media. To get in contact with us, visit Code3Podcast.com. And if you haven't subscribed yet, you should. Don't miss an episode. Find us at the Apple iTunes Store, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts.